Hello and welcome to We Don't Talk About the Weather, political discussion that from the outside may just look like screaming and crying. What's I'm with the Radio 4 voice? And this is I don't know. I was I, I was listening back to the podcast from last week. Yeah. And, um, you never listened. Trying to yeah, I actually I tried to because I, I need to like work out and my voice sounds higher than it does in my head. Yeah, it does. And I sound way more um, strewed in my head yeah. it, out loud than I think I do in my head. Yes. Maybe it's because right. I'm talking to you and I'm not really thinking. Yeah. Just like <laughs> spouting, <laughs> stream of consciousness, spouting a load of shit. Um, yeah, so welcome, welcome. <laughs> One cannot trust people whose food is so bad," said Jacques Chirac in two thousand and five. Really? Yes. He was uh, at a private dinner with some Swiss and German diplomats, and it was recorded. And he was talking about the British. And he was talking about the British. Uh, today, the s- but the Swiss though, uh, good chocolate. Not as good as other places. They're pretty good though. Like it's not like they're they don't have the same reputation as the British, which is no. what we're going to talk about today. Yes. Um I saw about two or three months ago there was a whole Twitter thread on um why the British have such a bad reputation how why they have such terrible food. Okay. Um and it wasn't having a reputation for bad food, it was why do they have terrible food? Yeah. Um, and most of the responses were kind of, well, I mean, the truth is that they don't. Yeah. And I kind of agree with that. But, like, there's a really strong impression and kind of elevated kind of, like, general international wisdom that the British have bad food. Mm. Um, and we thought we'd talk a bit about this because you, Hugh, you're a very good cook. You're very into food. I'm, I like eating food. but um, <laughs> You do like eating all my food. Actually, yeah, I like it. You made a lovely tiger and curry today. Mm-hmm fucking delicious um and you have you know certain things that you you're obviously vegan as well yeah um you have a greater interest in food so um yeah, yeah well, it's a it's a weird thing the reputation of a britain because i'm pretty certain that it's because of the war hmm. because the british food and hmm. it's weird we've there's a couple of countries that are very similar to britain with regards to food yep like especially the european the european countries that have had empires. Mm-hmm. Um, France, less so. I don't think, like, the French French cuisine hasn't really taken stuff. There isn't, they haven't taken much from up, from their colonies to, like, you know, duck confit is duck confit. Yeah. It's not, like, an Algerian thing. Yeah. They, so they don't, um, whereas the British, very much like the Dutch and the Belgians, grab everything. I think with probably with the French, it's more like they had, uh, like, being rural... Mm. and having access to produce was such a big part of their the class makeup that they had to deal with after the revolution well mm. before the revolution but after the revolution as well yeah. and it became so ingrained as to like the like rural populations were way more kind of enlisted to be representative of the national culture when yeah. when countries were trying to work out what nationalism meant and what what their, yeah. what a nation state would look like britain like kept on with the rural stuff, like people think of green and pleasant land and all that, yeah. but they didn't really respect what actually happened in the countryside. Whereas France, I think definitely, like they identify their national characteristics with rural yeah, food stuff. producers. Yeah. Like I can think of a couple of dishes that are like very traditionally British, mm-hmm. like um, specifically like a ploughman's lunch, for example. Yeah, but even that starring pickle. Exactly. Even that has the like. There's so many great things that the British did invent by accident. Yeah. Like, and it's usually Trump from trying to copy a chutney. 
Yes, yeah. Brown sauce, Worcester sauce. Worcester mm. sauce was was an attempt at a chutney that was forgotten about in a barrel. Yeah. And then was found by some guy. I think that's the way the story goes. That some yeah. guy found it while found he was Found a yeasty extract, extract and found like this, put it in his mouth. This pungent liquid and just like... <laughs> Dunking things in it in a barrel. Wasn't it? Wasn't it like some kind of Malaysian? Like you know how ketchup originally is it, like Malaysian, and it wasn't made out of tomatoes. Yeah, it, it, might have been, like that. it might have been something like that. Something like similar to that. From. Yeah. But um, yeah, like yeah, brown sauce is a failed mango chutney. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have a, and like Branson pickle is HP like, sauce. And, I mean, they have like Branson Brit- pickle is like I'm gonna try and make a lime chutney. But what do we have here? Onions. We've got carrot and onions. <laughs> <turn it. laughs> But you know, you're, and like the sheer amount of pickles that exist in Britain, like oh, pickle-lily yeah, and things like that. But they're all like stolen, yeah, um, or inspired by. But in the same yeah. way, like the Dutch, the Dutch, like Dutch food's amazing, yeah, because you have like it's where, where deep fried cheese with chili sauce, yeah. <laughs> Those um, you get them in Amsterdam, probably all over Holland. But Bucky Blocks, Bucky Blocks, what are they? I think it's called Bucky Block. Imagine like a cube mm-hmm. of. And it's like breaded, mm-hmm. and inside is the filling that you would have in a spring roll. <laughs> Ooh, okay, yeah, I'd do that. Yeah, yeah, definitely, I'd hit that. Yeah, um, so you know, you get those kind of things. But um, yeah. I, it's one of the things that British cuisine, especially because of the empire, did well. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there are massive failures. Mm-hmm. Coronation chicken, yeah, <laughs> the greatest <laughs> sin ever. Well, like before, even before the kind of industrial revolution mm-hmm. and the empire, like um, English food was actually like quite held in quite high esteem. Um, well, because we were French. <laughs> well, yeah, like uh, I can't remember the name of him, but one of the early French cooks, like uh, when they first opened his boulangerie or you know his <laughs> restaurant, yeah, um, he modelled it. It was like called like the boulangerie London, yeah, or the Where's boulangerie that? anglais, and he modelled it after an English it's, an English pub. I think this country it is a good country to grow food in and find food. Mm. We did eat most of the wild animals, um, but we're reintroducing things like yeah. boar and things like that again. Mm. But um, you know, there's it's got the well, except for the last couple of weeks, it has the good weather for good food. Yeah, and to grow pretty much everything that you'd want. Um, and because of being invaded numerous, numerous, numerous times, we managed to have lots of stuff dumped on us and invading. Yeah. Let's face it. <laughs> well, yeah, invading yeah. and take and taking mm. some some ingredients back, and Romans dumping off a load of ingredients, all that kind of stuff meant that we could eat something other than thistles and pigs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's like there is this definite thing that after the war, so you have like it's like the double barrel thing of why of what happened to British food. Yeah. And it's the Industrial Revolution, mm-hmm. which immediately, like on a smaller scale, happened with my mum. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandmother was a very good cook. Mm. Very, very good cook. My mum left home at 15 and moved to Cardiff and she never learnt to cook from her mum. Yeah. She um, never had those skills passed down as such. Yeah. yeah, and with the Industrial Revolution, people left their towns. There's a, there's a huge amount of internal migration. Like, you, yeah. yeah, you don't get those kind of um, and then you start eating, skill transmissions. And yeah. you start eating communally in, like, disgustingly cheap places. And also your... So, your pies. Yeah. You're Which are also amazing. Yeah. You're also far away from the actual places where food is being yeah, produced. And, it's the start of... And the kind of thing, like uh, like kitchen gardens start mm. to kind of fall in. Like, you don't have as many. Or no. you don't, they're not as big. And um, you, you're, you're, you, chances are, if you're growing up in the cities, like most of my family did, you're not... Not only are you not growing your own produce, not only are you not close to it, but nobody you ever interact with 
is close to the production mm. of their own food. It's yeah, it's the industrial revolution is definitely the start of people not knowing mm. for example what different herbs taste like. Yeah, yeah. And so well, you know, so there's there's straight away there's that kind of distance which starts to ruin people's attitudes towards food and like their ability to cook. Yeah. And then you have the Second World War and you have rationing afterwards taking taking them even more even removing what little responsibility for pr- cooking your own food is there yeah. you know you, you're so limited and then i think like for a long time you didn't get foreign foreign restaurants in this country hmm. um so you didn't get like a nice french restaurant or an italian restaurant yeah but then it start it changes in the 70s and 80s which is definitely yeah. when like food outside becomes a much like outside of the home becomes a really yeah. big deal in britain yeah um but we've always had like the best curries that you could get. Yeah. Outside of India, obviously, and Pakistan. <laughs> but no, do you know what I mean? They're like, better. Like, they're um, better. Like I've had curry in. Plow some cream in there. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah, chicken yeah. tikka masala, fixed. Well, what, fixed you can, that curry. You can. You can with t- yogurt and cream. <laughs> you can. And you can even tell because, like, when when the kind of uh, curry restaurants do open up and they start catering to like a local population, they do become like. They're regimented in a way that happens in an industrial society. So, mm. like, you don't get oh, this is um, this like uh, my partner's mum is a superb cook, mm. um, like Gujarati, uh, like vegetarian cook, um, and she'll just like try something. Mm. She's got a load of particular like ways of cooking in her head mm. that um, she can then transfer to whatever ingredients she has to have. She made a really good like wild garlic chutney mm. um, a few weeks ago when mm, I was down there, when I was up there. Um, and she just you know she just made that because she knew how to prepare it and knew how to substitute things in so that it would work together. Whereas when you notice Indian restaurants opening up, you do have to put down a menu, but that's a very regimented like what do you know you do you want a rogan josh do you want prawn beef yeah. chicken or vegetable now yeah. that's a regimented thing of i'm cooking a sauce yeah. it doesn't matter what goes with it you're going to have one particular bulk ingredient in it because that's what people are used to yeah. it's it's easy to put down on a menu it's easy to understand for anyone who's coming in it's very like industrial yeah there was um there was an indian restaurant in chatham mm. and it wasn't until i was like a teenager that i realized this is a weird thing actually where beef was a regular thing on the menu. <laughs> and it really did, like... It's just, what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, but then it's like, obviously, it's because people wanted to eat beef. Also, I mean, poor people in different parts of India do eat beef, despite what, you know, the BJP are doing at the moment, trying to, like, rewrite history so that people just don't eat beef and people yeah. start getting lynched on the suspicion of them eating beef, even oh. though Muslims are in India are allowed oh, yeah. to eat beef. Yeah. Uh, unless there is a particular law against eating beef. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's so it's so weird how, like... I mean, it, it makes perfect sense, but, like, even... You can tell as well, because, like, Indian immigrants come and open up a restaurant, and I was thinking about this today. Like, all the, f- like, first wave of Indian restaurants, what are they all called? They're all called, like... Um, like the Mughal Palace, mm. the Star of India, the Maharaj. Yeah. You know, like that kind of thing. And it's like all entirely catered to appealing to a population who's only experienced India through the lens of, of empire. Of state propaganda, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, so, it's so strange. It's like... So they're turning up and offering, offering, trying to offer a meal that people could only, 
had only like heard of. Yeah. Because the vast majority of people had never had. Well, interestingly enough, if you were if you were in the army, you got um, curry curry rations. Indian soldiers didn't. Yeah, but like one of the um, white English, like white um, British soldiers did. Like with regards to like British food, it's because of the British that there is curry in Japan. Yeah, because Mm. even though they're so close to places with curry, (laughs) the Japanese never took it. But I think it's the Seven Nation Army. It was because of the mixed units then that they started like using the curry blocks. Yeah, during the Boxer Uprising. Yeah, Yeah. like. You, the US, Japan, Russia, Britain, France, Italy. Italy. How many is that? Six? <laughs> Enough. And let's say Spain. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, but back, back to the thing. Because of like those things of industrial revolution, war, rationing, mm. there's almost like a whole generation needs to learn how to cook, and especially like if they're in the cities, mm. that there's such a lack of awareness of food. And like I get it now with... Um, you get it all the time. Now, cooking is nice. Most people enjoy sitting down to a home-cooked meal. Yeah. In the society that we live in, mm. that has been getting progressively worse for the last 30 years. Well, people's hours have gone up. It's really, really hard to do that. People's work hours have gone up. And they well, and how, how many people who are like in house shares or whatever have the space to spend two hours simmering and yeah, a th- thing? Who has, yeah, there's, who has the time to learn? Yeah, yeah. When you're who has the time to make your mid, like the first time you say you get a kitchen all to yourself, if you're lucky, yeah, it's like in your mid to late twenties. Who has the time and money to learn by making a mistake? Mm-hmm. You know, like that's such a neoliberal thing. Yeah. So like you've got all the resources you need. You if you live in London or you know you're close to like a decent, let's face it, a decent Indian shop mm. um, or international shop or poultry slap or whatever, you have access to ingredients that you've never had. And yet, the ability for you to do it is based on you getting it right first time, as yeah. if you had somehow innate knowledge well, and innate skill. It's that thing that that's so neoliberal. Yeah, there's a. It's, it's quite like I've been I've cooked been cooking for a long time. Like when me and my wife got together, she can't cook at all. She mm. can make one meal that is. It's, if I wasn't vegan before, I would be <laughs> after. <laughs> Oh, it's just a nightmare. It's like a pasta salad with raw onion and tuna. And that sounds nice. And mayonnaise. Red onion? No, oh, I like that. Mayonnaise. <laughs> it's just like a whole thing. It's just like thinking about it is making me crazy. You know she's going to have to listen to this later. Oh, she's she's had me laugh. Oh, right. Like, <laughs> like heave at it. Um, but she seems to like it. But anyway, so I had to cook. Yeah. Luckily, um, I had, like when my mum and dad split up, I'd spent a lot of time with my nan and hmm. picked up enough yeah. Um, enough to be confident, which is a thing. Like, yeah. There's, there's yeah. a. One of the main things with cooking is the ability to like. Be willing to take a risk, knowing that you can just about you can muddle your way through. Yeah. Because you've done, you know, done it before a thousand times, or you know what yeah. this tastes like. You know what tastes mix well with together. But that's a that's a rare thing, and you need to have, like I had a ver- I was very lucky being around cooks. Mm. Most people aren't. Like, your yeah. mum's an appalling cook, isn't she? Uh, she, I mean... <laughs> She's a nurse who works every hour the, every hour in the day because she works in the NHS. She doesn't really have time to... I had just... I, I've just formed an, ans- an answer in my head which was, 
is is pretty revealing of a very typical English attitude to food, which was she always had food on the table. <laughs> yeah. And to be fair, like she came from uh, like immigrant Irish immigrant stock, um, not a lot of not a lot of money. Her her mother was not. I seem to remember not being a particularly good cook on, on certain things like she was Irish. She would like potatoes. I've never. She would boil them to hell. I've yeah. never experienced anything like it. She made gammon and cabbage really, really nice. But it wasn't particularly. Yeah, it wasn't particularly like. Um, she wouldn't have experimented. No, you know, and she, and like my mum. My mum doesn't like spicy food. But like when I, when I first left home, I could. I could just about cook a few things, mm. and so, but I was like quite willing to kind of work out what tastes I liked and cater it yeah. to that. Which, again, yeah, I've seen you put ketchup on food. Um, I've made you. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen you, cater you see to that? Your yeah, but you see that's exactly the thing. Now, I made a thing when I was in uni. Um, I made this thing that I really liked. Um, it was noodles, chew. Don't vomit. Don't do the vomit motion at saying I cooked noodles. At least wait for me no, to tell no, you. No, it's gonna get at least, more, at, least gonna happen. at least wait to, for me to tell you the rest of the ingredients before okay, you start on. looking down your nose. Um, it's uh, it was super noodles. Mm-hmm. Um, tuna, uh, can of tuna. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And I got really into five spice sauce, five spice powder. Oh. Right, and it was grainy when I ate it. But I really liked it. And as as you are doing now, people <laughs> used to laugh at me and say, what's, what's that? The wrong tin oh, fish? a load of soy sauce, soy sauce as well. It's supposed to use the, the best tin fish are like mackerel. They're the best tin fish. Mm. I, liked, I liked mackerel, but kind of generally, I generally couldn't afford it. This was when maybe tuna was not five pound a can. Yeah, that is the um, But, you know, I, I, I was happy enough doing well. And it's like something that, um, like me and my partner talk about all the time like Gujaratis uh, they'll eat like every hour hmm. like either a little something or a full meal like every hour yeah. huge diabetes problem <laughs> um, in the Gujarati community I understand but um, they will have like uh, sweet stuff on the side um, they will take a little bit of the sweet a little bit of the spicy they will eat it all together they aren't that bothered about having separation between those things yeah. and it's a like a more relaxed way of of eating and it, it's catered to an individual's taste yeah. and when i told her about kind of the way like the kind of food culture i grew up in which was this is, you're, the, thing you're, you're, this like is this. the thing you're eating it or you're not getting anything else that kind of thing she's horrified yeah um, i was brought up that um well if i if i put salt or pepper onto a dish before i'd had my first taste I would get hit because <laughs> well, my that's mum got well massive into, disrespect. My mum got well into the health thing, so she didn't have salt at the table. No, no. salt, no added salt on anything. We need salt. It's so good. It's no, like you don't one need of the most, it. It's one of the most important things that was ever discovered with regards to food. It's amazing. I still don't. I still barely put salt on chips. I'll just have chips with no salt and vinegar or anything like that. You know, I, I like that. I like the flavor of the oil and of the potato. I think it has its own flavor. Maybe I've just been oh like, God, it's me trying maybe to say I've that just British been, food is actually yeah. great and it doesn't deserve this reputation. And here's you saying, I like greasy half cooked potato. Listen, I, maybe I'm just the exemplar of like what you produce <laughs> by uh, individual tastes in the like something I still make, which is um, microwave rice with a load of ketchup on and some cheese melted on top. 
Like, I like that. It tastes good. But I'm not caught up on particular, like... Like, I'm not... Sh- I don't have a shame... Cu- I don't have a shame culture around my food. No, I, I just don't. I don't use I just, some of the things. Yeah. Some of the... It's, it's particularly if I'm, well, yeah, high or hungover. Mm. Some of my amazing inventions, like Funyun nachos. <laughs> oh, God, that's the... <laughs> yeah, I mean, like... Even I have limits. But no, that's amazing, though, because it's... What's wrong with pickled onion? Right. Mex- like uh, like a free bean chilli. <laughs> cheese and jalapenos. Well, vegan cheese. <laughs> jalapenos. And then you microwave it. Yeah, but... That's, in a pie dish. You say pickled onion. You don't mean pickled onions. You mean funions. Yeah, but they taste like pickled onions. It's great. <laughs> that you mush up. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. But, um... Hmm. Yeah, there's a definite problem with like I've noticed it recently. There's like a lot of those like like those services where you pay for a recipe and the ingredients. Oh no, I don't do that. That's like that's late. That's one step late capital late capitalism too far for me. Well, there's like so many of like those kind of things. And like in the shops, they always have like the meal thing already. Yes, yeah, all yeah. the ingredients, and then you do stuff because there's like people want to do it. There was a big old Sainsbury's in Tooting which was geared around ready meals. Yeah. Like it did, it was a big, it was a big Sainsbury's, wasn't it? Like a Sainsbury's Express or whatever, yeah. Sainsbury's local. But it had, it, it was just like shelf on shelf of ready meals mm. with the soup, with the drink, with the bottle of wine, with the bottle of Coke or whatever you, you yeah. would want with it. And it, that's what it was geared to, which tells you something about the way that, the, that people consume things. But like, I was thinking about it today in, it's kind of similar to the way people practice religion. Yeah. People think of religion as this fixed thing that has not changed for you know two thousand years. Like Christianity yeah. has not changed for two thousand years, but it obviously has. Yeah. People don't worship in the same way. It's right. a it's a, a, a Marxist thing. The way you live your life is determined by uh, your economic status, your class, and um, that that determines how you consume things. It determines the way you worship in religion, and it determines the way you eat. And the way we eat now is that we have to you're kind of expected to have a certain pretension and a certain certain amount of taste, which is where it kind of undermines the bad British food yeah. argument, that people are constantly being told, I mean, certainly middle-class people in London, are constantly being told that you need to expand your 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 repertoire, yeah. and you need to be a good cook, because this is part of being a formed human being. Yeah. Um, this is part of being a modern cosmopolitan. Mm. Um, with that, while denying them the actual ability to make it. So, yeah. of course, capitalism responds with a increasingly expensive way of fulfilling the need while constri- while actually constraining your ability to do it properly yeah. you know what i mean yeah um yeah yeah there's um get it get it with weird food trucks um where you get like the weird fusion ones mm. and you get like well for example like korean food is is seeing a massive yeah that's popular in the last a hugely last, like, popular 10 years or so um, dead spicy, dead barbecuey, which seems yeah, to cabbage, lovely, yeah. love kimchi. But a lot of people haven't had kimchi, and it's mm. a very acquired taste. Mm. So I've noticed that there's a lot. There's like I've been to a couple of them now, and it's not kimchi. It's like it's almost like you know, like we were talking about the Indian restaurants and like being catered to British taste. Yeah, they soften the yeah, soften they, the flavors and they and add things that they're used to. Yeah, and it's really weird, but then people talk about it as if it's authentic and act kind of smug and superior because of it. Mm. There's a definite... I mean, Because of that, cause it, it, be, it being a part of being, like you said, a, like a fully formed cosmopolitan London person. Yeah. 
or in like any city really I imagine it's one of that kind of culture it's, it's one of the things I hate the most and actually it feeds it, it comes from both ends um, I mean if you do food badly that comes from both <laughs> ends but one of the things I most hate about like shame and it is a developed it's a development of the old shame culture about like um, you know doing food properly and having proper food having solid food which is mm. a very like feeds into notions of Britishness and, and like uh, bulldog spirit and blitz spirit and all that and r- rationing like there's you said a dis- like there is the a war. disgusting Protestant attitude to food in this country yeah it suggests st- like stolidity and mm. you being solid and it, it, it ultimately it adds some kind of social capital to, capital to you if you can understand if you can relate to somebody through the food you eat it's like oh I don't like any of that you know foreign mark that used to be the way it was but it's gone to gone a weird inversion yeah. over the last maybe 10-20 years whereby people become kind of inversely proud of having shit food. Like, mm. I'm not proud of the things that I like. Like, baked beans. I love baked oh, beans. Baked they're, beans are, they're incredible. But I'm not going to set a certain level of, like, personal and social capital on me liking baked beans. Yeah. It's become a tool of authenticity, and I hate pretension about food. Oh. Of anything. And it used to be, oh, have you never had gazpacho? Yeah. I haven't. <laughs> You're not missing much. I'd, I'd give it a go, um, and it's gone down to oh, we just you know reduced this to its authentic elements. There's so many restaurants in Soho that offer. There's a fucking crisp and dip restaurant. Oh yeah, in is the, in the, Soho. Is that the one on Long Street? The crisps. Yeah, just, just really I, expensive bags I, of crisps. I was walking down or there. Boxes of crisps. I was walking down there with my partner, and um, she was, we were looking for a place to go, and it's like I f- I hate eating in Central generally. Um. Stupidly enough, the best places are market food carts, which tend to close up at five, mm-hmm. or like like chain restaurants, at least you're guaranteed to get the thing that you're looking at. Yeah. You can be guaranteed a certain like like it's so unhealthy it's that it's a, a kind of vicarious thrill and it's, it's not, not an expensive risk. And it's not an is, expensive risk. Which right? A lot of the time it is. Um there is a nice tapas restaurant on the other end of Old Conflict Street that's been there for about a thousand years and the problem is that you would never be able to discern that from the other thousand restaurants you go to there's also a really nice like South Indian place Mm. um, called Hoppers which is amazing and super cheap Um, you also have to queue Mm. probably the reason I don't go eating in Soho that much but like this Christmas dip restaurant I went past it and um, it it said chips and dip so I was like huh a restaurant that's just selling chips and like to me chips and oh, oh, something chips. to dip them in that's a restaurant yeah. and I go up and it's like they've got a machine turning the crisps with yeah. different types of potatoes in the window as you've got to be fucking kidding me it's it's disgusting but there's there's that presentation of like it being oh no we we know the potatoes your crisps are coming you think from. you've had crisps before yeah this is a proper crisp look at this look at this tzatziki have you ever tried it with a russet no no I want to. I, do, do you think it's significantly de- there's a lot of like taste forming but not a lot of distinction mm. between any of it do you know what I mean yeah. it's like quibbling over particular varieties when there is no reason to quibble over them yeah but as I was saying the inverse of that is like talking like making a big deal of the fact that you, yeah you like these particular staples it's an, it's an, it's an authenticratic thing yeah um, prawn cocktail crisps you know that kind of thing like spam oh, you know that kind of thing if you could afford to eat spam on the regular yeah, yeah. Fucking corned beef. Yeah. I well, like corned beef. Um, well, corned beef, corned beef went bad when... I think it was like a, it was a type of corned beef that won an, won an award. Mm. 
there's some shop made and since then corned beef is just unreasonably expensive mm. um Again, it's good that I've gone vegan because all the things that I loved, I can't afford really anyway. <laughs> I think the food distinction comes from, there is a certain, I think like a lot of things, you can trace it back even further past the war and trace it back to a certain attitude that arose during colonialism. Like mm. when Columbus went on like his first voyage to the Americas, yeah, they got to um, Cuba Yeah. And lived there for a bit, and obviously the Spanish sailors, Genoese sailors, started dying off. Yeah. Um, because of diseases and because, you know, any any myriad of reasons. One of the reasons that he documented that uh, people were dying off is because they were forced to um, subsist on the uh, the natives' food. So things like, you know, cassava root and yeah. uh, ma- like maize and tomato. Corn and potatoes. Tomato. Whereas they were used to coming from a place where it's like, oh, you know, salt beef, wine, olive oil, that kind of thing. Yeah. They had already, even though like imperialism was still very, very early, they had already set like a racial difference. Yeah. And it's like, well, obviously this not eating good, hearty European food is what's killing us. Uh, or what's worse, if we continue to eat this food, we'll become like the natives. <laughs> Yeah, and you can see that through um, through like British attitudes to to curry early on as well, and to spice. Yeah, that seems to be a big. I don't think it's ill intentioned by people who say, "Oh, you know, British people can't handle spice," because I mean, they can. Um, but I, I, there is a kind of stereotype that, like, yeah, the British people uh, don't like they bland. don't even put chili chili sauce on literally everything. And it's like, oh, I no, they do. I, I put it on a lot of things. Mm. Um, but no, there was, there's definitely, um, there's, there were people I was growing up with that the only curry they'd have is a korma. Yeah. My, my mum will not eat, um, will still not eat uh, Chinese food or uh, Indian food. She will eat a chicken tikka masala. <laughs> like one of the most English, well, yeah. well, one of the most British of curries. Yeah. That and vindaloo. Yeah. Beef vindaloo. And don't get me wrong, I really like it. But well, yeah, what's not to like? It's like yogurt and spicy. But I love a good, I love a nice uh, amount of variety. Mm. And, and just, I, I don't know, it, there is, obviously, it, it, has, it does have to do with taste and how you grew up and everything, but you can't avoid this all over kind of distinction between like British food and other foods. And, and the idea that like, Assigning characteristics, like social and national characteristics, to food, is just something that I don't, I don't well, understand. I think it is over the last couple, over the last few years, last decade, mm. it has been falling away. Like most, definitely. Like yeah, if yeah. Brit- like the the few British people that I know that can cook and cook regularly, they can all. It's mainly Italian. Mm. They can all like muddle their way through like pretty much any Italian because that's been a thing for thirty years. Mm. You know, spaghetti bolognese was the thing of the seventies that you cooked. I like spaghetti. I like I like spaghetti bolognese. Well, well it's like I I like food from literally every corner of the planet. Yeah, you've got a weird thing apart from Italian. Just all that pasta. Mm. Um, those terrible. I'll admit, I'm not a huge fan of pasta. Those terrible sauces. Those disgusting that, wet pasties that they I, call ravioli. I d- ravioli is a wet pasty. Those disgusting sauces. All of the sauces. <laughs> I don't like. I don't like like. Well, I don't 
like the tomato basilic ragu things. I, I, they're just boring. It's all so boring. I just want to eat gochujang until my eyes bleed. <laughs> That's the main one I mean. The most I eat but a spoon. You're just like Rimmer from Red Dwarf. You've actually killed off all of your taste buds. <laughs> Oh yeah, well, except that was, one. That was a thing for a long time. Like with the food that I ate, it was based on the fact that I smoked old Holborn. Mm-hmm. So yeah. everything was like very, very strong. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's definitely there's this thing. It's because food gets talked about a lot. Diet gets talked about a lot in this country. Yeah, yeah. Um, I imagine pretty much in every country because I don't think that's true. What the- I don't think it's true that food. I mean, like I haven't. I haven't got a huge amount to compare, but I mean, I, I, I guess people talk in different ways about food. When people talk about food here, there's a distinct, like you said, Protestant ethic of, I mean, I work in an office and anybody who works in an office has heard people talking about food in terms of... Um, I can't have that. Yeah, of, of balancing it out, mm-hmm. of, oh, I will have this piece of cake but I will balance it out with something else. I will suffer later for it. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's it's yeah. um, I know it's a transactional relationship. Like the only other place I lived for a long time was um, Australia, hmm. um, and they would talk about it a lot. But the thing was, it's like there's a there's definitely um, a thing with because of like diabetes and any kind of obesity issues, which yeah, whatever NHS, yeah, suck it up. Um, <laughs> There's definitely a focus on people need to eat better. Mm. And it's dealt with in such a Protestant way. It's dealt yeah. with in such a way of like, okay, here you go. Here's your diet diet dish that has yeah. no fat, no sugar, no salt. Yeah, Try not to lose your mind eating this. Yeah. Um, but I, I think a lot of the reason why there are there is things like diabetes is a good one is because people don't cook themselves. And they don't have the time to cook themselves. They don't have the time to learn to cook themselves. Mm. And processed food it's really easy to put sugar in it's like it wasn't until i went vegan that i had to look at the ingredients of everything yeah and you see like the 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 ways the ways cheap food that is the main food that you can survive on how the cheapest preservatives they have are sugar and milk yeah yeah and that's why people get diabetes Mm. because every dish has got so much sugar in it but it's also you it's a it's again a, a like an industrial thing it's division of labor yeah. because you do not have the ability to have a well-rounded life mm. where you have the time to both cook and spend time with your family yeah. and to pursue whatever other interests you might have because you are um like working in the wage system yeah you are labor yeah uh working so much and the 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 intensity or that that capitalism has demanded from people has increased so much that of course the solution is to divide it out. So there are people who just spend their time producing ready meals and 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 selling ready meals as a particular option. Yeah, you know? it's grim. There's like there's a thing that I've, like our friend Dolly who lived in Germany for mm. ages and ages. Um, like it's quite common in Germany for them to have the canteen, mm-hmm. the the company that you're working for. They will make lunch, and yeah. it's such a good thing. Yeah. Like there's things like I I don't think that you should be able to have, I don't think you should be able to have packed lunches, yeah, at all with schools. It should just be free school dinners mm-hmm. from yeah sure. from the very yeah. first day you're at nursery till you're eighteen. Yeah, um, you know that de- we've talked about it before, but it deals with all the issues of um, people on free school dinners and the bullying that they that they yeah, get yeah. and any kind of uncomfortableness. But also, 
after you've had that kind of relationship with food, yeah, then you're probably less likely to. It's another site of shame, isn't it? There's yeah. there's there's nothing about having to have a meal that is any different, and yet there is some way of working in a particular relationship of shame and a, a particular hierarchy based on the kinds of things you are consuming. Mm. You know, um, yeah. I mean, people have talked about like Witherspoons as like the closest we have over here to, to like a canteen, a canteen situation. Yeah, it's um, there used to be a couple more around here of um, old greasy spoons that also yes. did like lunches yeah. and dinners. Yeah, um, they're all gone now. Like the best one is now a place that does neon signs. Yeah, make me sad every time I walk past it. <laughs> but, there was a greasy spoon in Hounslow. Um, it was right next to the bus stop I used to take to work. And um, it used to do the typical greasy spoon things, breakfasts, burgers, whatever. Doubled as like the Don, like the Doner kebab takeaway at the yeah. same time. But also had a whole range of like, like no other way of tying them together other than to say like 70s specials. <laughs> so like, like cod, yeah. like cod in white sauce and spaghetti bolognese. Liver and bacon. Uh, liver and bacon, yeah. And potatoes and things like that. Like, obviously, like it's an old Irish area, it's an old English area, and is an Indian area, and you know, there's been like waves of migration and things. Yeah. But it's just fascinating how it came together and how it still survives. Mm. <laughs> yeah, know? there's a. It's like. Weatherspoons is a really useful place mm. because there's. It's quite odd with its food. It's like. It's, it it like, offers it's got so menu, much. Yeah, it's got a menu like a car park pub. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, car park pubs have the gigantic laminated menus, but um, it's probably the only place, like especially since I went vegan, that we could all go to. Yeah, because like one of our other friends, he's gluten intolerant, mm. so like me, you, and him trying to find somewhere to eat mm. would be a nightmare. Yeah. if it wasn't for the fact that we can just go to Weatherspoons. Yeah, and there's literally anything that you could possibly want. Yeah, as long as it's a curry or a burger. <laughs> or, or um, Mexican, but you know it's that kind of thing. It would be nice, like when there, there was like it was last year, wasn't it, with the whole nationalized Weatherspoons thing? Yeah, yeah. You don't need to nationalize Weatherspoons, but it would be nice for there to be a, a, a state canteen. Yeah, the relationship with food in this country is, is just profoundly unfair. Like I like a meal deal as much as anyone else, but the fact that you have yeah. such little time that that is, and it's like. That's the only time you get to try something new, and like so. You've seen like um, it was with it was with Lily when we went to um Cambridge. Yeah, we had to quickly get something to eat on the way back to the train, and Lily goes, "Ooh, I'm going to try that," and got a katsu curry sandwich, and oh. complained about it solidly then for ages. I think um our friend Ollie had a katsu curry sandwich as well. Was really profoundly angry, angered <laughs> by it. But you know what I mean? Like those are the the times where you get you get to. Take a risk because it's quite cheap. The yeah. meal deal. Um, whereas, but the interesting going... interesting thing about like those kind of places, train stations and airports, mm. is that again there is a stratification based on on class. Oh, yeah. You can go to. There are so many like luxury, what I would call like luxury places. Oh, yeah, even if it's like, like sushi, sushi bars. Even yeah. if you have the time, if you're not pulling up on the day and going directly to your flight. Yeah. Um, you have and all it, like St Pancras is laid out like an airport. So there's fucking boulangeries over there. There's patisseries. There's Italian yeah. things. And it's like I always go through and think 
who has the time to sit down and have a meal at a train station. I'd just throw it all up because well, it'd be like, no, I've got to get on the train. I've got one ticket. But that's the thing you as know? well. I don't, I don't understand it with St Pancras because I don't imagine them. Maybe like, maybe international travellers have to have like to sit around and wait for a while. Yeah, maybe. But I don't think maybe. any of the trains are any longer than like an hour's wait. Hmm. But um, yeah, the, the thing is, like, there's a perfect, there's a place. Um, it's Westfield is has the perfect stratification with um, the yes. class of food that you're allowed yeah. from steerage in the basement. Yep. Which is a horrible place, especially in this heat wave. It is a nightmare. Ooh. It is so hot and so sticky, and there's you're so far down, but there's very little natural light, and that's <laughs> where the spud you like McDonald's, Greg's, the KFC, Subway, all of yeah. that stuff is down there. Then you go up to the next level. And then you have like the faux food vans. There's a Mex. There's like a burrito place. There's yeah. like all the different. There's like Chinese your 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 lesser chain like, restaurants, Chiquitos and Wagamamas. Yeah, and there's stuff like, like that. an Indo Chinese bit. Um, and then up on the on the top floor, mm. there's like a fancy steak restaurant next to the entrance of the casino. Mm. <laughs> um, and you have things like your gourmet burger kitchen. Yeah, and that kind of shit. And it's it's so weird because like especially the good example would be gourmet burger kitchen. The burger that you get there, realistically, isn't that much different from the one in the basement. I I used to like really like burgers. Mm. <laughs> um, like when I was a kid, you would have your birthday at McDonald's. Yeah, it was a special place to go. Yeah, you know. Um, like if if your parents were coming home and wanted a takeaway, they would get fish and chips. But if there was a special occasion, you would go to McDonald's. Yeah. Um, and I have been bitten by the McDonald's bug, mm-hmm. and it's yeah, never let disgusting. it's never let it's never let go. Yeah. It has never let go. I love the 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 smell of it. I love the taste of it. It makes me feel happy. All of that processed it's sugar and that processed stuff going in there. I'm starting to wean off of it because now I've got one five minutes in my house, so I can have it once a week. <laughs> um, but in any case, it it has certain like fond familiar like like yeah. nostalgic memories for yeah. me. Um. So I like I like I've liked the I li- at first I liked like the, the explosion of burger restaurants. Yeah. As from the dis from a distance it looks like ooh they're trying to do different things. And then you go to them mm. and it's like what is it? It's minced beef with a couple of different sauces on it. Yeah. You put red onion and red cabbage in this one and you call it like the red burger. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah, there's, um, there's always, it's like, the, the well, first off, there's brioche buns, which are oh, overdone to God, the extreme, yeah. but there's, um, there'll be the kind of, the Texas one, that'll have onion rings and barbecue sauce. Yeah. There'll be one that's got jalapenos in. There'll be one with, there'll be a bit of an odd one that'll have feta in it. But they're the interesting thing is that the burgers are traditionally considered like the, they're the American working class food, like burgers and yeah. hot dogs and things like that. Yeah. And there's been an explosion of that kind of stuff. And they have a certain like, like like they portray a certain kind of like simplicity and solidness and working class authenticity that you would expect to appeal to the british yeah um but the fact that they all have brioche buns yeah so they're reaching to into two different markets at the same time they're reaching towards look this has a french this this the bread that we put this thing around has a french name and it's slightly more upmarket yeah. to distinguish itself from it's just bread yeah. but bread worked fine yeah. So all of these social forces are working on something that it didn't need to be worked the on. The gentrification of food is like, like a lot of the food, like a lot, especially around like Soho, mm. when you have like these food trends come along, like 
where yeah. it's the burger thing, or there's the explosion of ramen places. Oh, yes, yeah. And both of those, like burgers and ramen, are the traditional working class fast food thing of their respective countries. Yeah. And like hugely high in protein for doing physical work. Fat. Um, and a load of fat to keep you warm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, and like ramen, it shocks me how expensive ramen is mm. and how terrible all the ramens are. Like it was, it was quite unfortunate because it wasn't long after they started opening up that I went vegan, mm. so I wasn't able to properly, like, sample all of them. Yeah. But I have it on good authority that most of them are trash. Really. Um. Yeah. Mm. Um. But they're and they're also, they're like judged up to justify this huge price tag. Yeah. For something that is supposed to be a cheap, quick meal that you would have in something. Close to a canteen. And what's interesting is those things like, uh, like you say, the fancy rums or the fancy burgers, like the burger with some weird ingredient, like a fish cake in it, I don't know. Yeah. Like some like kind fish of... Fish finger sandwich. Yeah, some kind of... Well, no, you know, like a, a, an actual beef burger with something, something special in it, mm. like kimchi. Kimchi yeah. would be a perfect example of, I'm sure there's a kimchi burger you can get yeah, somewhere yeah. in the sea. No, there, there was, there's quite a big figure of some yeah. figgy Blackheart in Camden. Yeah. There's a burger kitchen, a burger person in that place it's like one of those travelling burger people oh yeah yeah um, and they have a kimchi burger yeah sure um, you would not describe it they would never describe themselves as fusion cuisine no I mean it's what they're doing but the difference is has only come in the market in the marketing of it hmm. you expect to if you're paying those prices you expect to have access if not try it you expect to have there's an expectation of having access to like something a bit different. Yeah. But there's nothing different about it. I mean, it is ultimately vinegary cabbage, fermented cabbage. You know what I mean with chilies and I know it's, it's more. You know what I mean though. Yeah. That, that it's it's very very spicy cabbage on top of beef, and whether it goes or not, it doesn't matter because it's it's an adornment. It's a an extra. Yeah. It's an extra thing that justifies why you're coming to it's, this fucking restaurant and paying fifteen pound for something I could get for for like two pound. Massive, like there's quite a few. You see them advertised on Twitter every so often. Like um, the, there'll be like some absurdly expensive fancy thing in New York, and it'll just yeah. be because they've covered it in gold leaf. Yeah. Um, I, another weird thing as well, actually. Uh, speaking of stuff that comes up on your timeline on Facebook, I tend to get a lot of like because it obviously monitors where I am mm. all the time. <laughs> And so it knows I work in Soho and so puts up like new restaurants and puts up new stories about the restaurants from like, like, like an advertorial from like the independent or things yeah. like that advertorials. Um, and the shift over the last few years has been towards comfort food. Yeah. So like a shop that entirely sells melted cheese sandwiches. Oh, that one's been or around for a while. That stuff place. that, well, that it's place, been around for a couple of years. That yeah. place smells bad. But a lot of things about, a lot of stories about particularly pouring melted cheese on things. Yeah. Like getting a getting a burger, getting a sandwich, and just covering it in melted cheese. Yeah. Luxury, opulence, but targeted at a certain thing. We're not talking about like caviar, which yeah. is a kind of rarefied small and an acquired like taste. Small plate. It's a small plate thing. Yeah. I've never had I don't th- oh no, I have had caviar once and I don't get it. It's fine. Whatever. I like toast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it moved from haute cuisine uh, refinement, like small elite dishes, um, to a kind of being able to offer everybody a very specific indulgence 
while at the same time the food culture when you're preparing it at home is to cut out certain things to get like make healthy dishes yeah. and ration yourself on on you food have take up that. certain diets yeah. you know that you shouldn't have thing. cheese in the home you should you yeah. shouldn't have salt or sugar Don't have but sugar, then when yeah. you snap here is a place that will give you a pint of molten cheese here's someone who will inject the donut with molten cheese in front of you there and definitely does seem to be like you know that proper figure of like um you know, capitalism is the only is the great innovator mm. and all that stuff. And the general movement of food recently does prove that capitalism actually isn't. No. And in general, it'll move to the cheapest, mm. the cheapest and heaviest. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what it's doing. It's like the stupid crisp shop. It it that was that was the most like egregious thing I've seen mm. in as far as food and obviously as stupid fucking food places and so there's also a, there's there's a lot of great food places but they tend to be walk up and walk away. Mm. With stuff which is um, probably indicative of a certain social profile of people who are working around there, but yeah, there's a, a certain social profile they would like to engineer in that it's all takeaway and eat on while you're walking back to your fucking desk. Well, yeah, it's like you know? it goes back to when um, if it was like New Labour when they were trying to do like the cafe culture, hmm. which you can't do in this society because we live in this hyper fast, hyper stressed, neoliberal nightmare hellscape yeah. where it's like ah. I'm going to have a coffee and I'm just going to sit here for 20 minutes and enjoy my cigarette. Oh no, if I enjoy this for 20 minutes, I'm going to lose my job. I'm checking my emails while I'm doing it. You're, yeah. never, you're never fully out of that thing. But actually, mentioning New Labour, um, there was an article a few years ago um, that was really, really interesting. I think it might have been around the kind of nationalised Witherspoons thing. Yeah. Um, suggesting that the restaurant of New Labour was Pizza Express. Perfect. Um, because it offers you something that is reasonably inoffensive to your, yeah. you know, bland English palate or whatever. Yeah. You can judge it up with chili if you want, but you don't have to. But it offers a kind of like continental uh, sophistication, but available to everybody. That it, was it, it the looks, idea. It's was a steel and glass restaurant, but it is just selling microwave pizzas. Yeah, but like very much saying an elite exists. We are part of the elite, but we're going to open it up to everybody. Yeah. And it's not going to be too forbidding, so you won't feel out of place there. Yeah. Which was always a problem. Like, since I've gotten this most recent job, occasionally I get to, like, go out um, with, uh, like, other companies and things like that. And it stresses me out. Oh, yeah. Like, I remember when you went to the Hawksmoor. I went to... Uh, the Hawksmoor was pretty good. Um was like amazing food but you look at the prices and it's like oh, yeah. i i'm never coming here the worst one was there's a like a sha- like a weird i wouldn't call it a champagne bar exactly but it's on every table there's a button that you press and that's when they come to refresh the champagne and they have it in um on the on tap um on some of the tables they uh, have taps that you just put your glass up to and i can't remember the name of it that's disgusting. The food was shit. The food it? was fucking te- like was not terrible, but it was just like, well, this is a piece of pork. You know yeah. what I mean? There's no, there's no need to when you get to that level. There's no need to do anything particularly special because it's it's that class above. It's like, don't worry, we've been here for a hundred years and have a French name. Yeah. So we don't need to do anything. Oh yeah, food. so we don't need to bother. You know, and there's a, there's quite a few places like that. Mostly there's a there's a, a a trend of restaurants in Soho where it's like they don't have the name on the outside; they just have today's menu. And today's menu is like you have a, a set menu. That's it. Yeah. That's what you're getting. Um, 
and it's you know stewed lamb and yeah. vegetables yeah but you're paying for a particular kind of like we don't even need a menu we don't need any kind of like post-capitalist trappings like, we don't like, need to make you feel like you're some if you're in a mexican restaurant you have sombreros on the wall you have like pictures of like mexican people yeah. in you know like sandra panza and whatever yeah. um these are the things that make you somehow feel like you're in mexico even though you know mexican people don't tend to have sombreros on their walls um but those those like really classy restaurants do away with that entirely because it's like no we can see through the illusion yeah you know it's it's an odd one yeah i've noticed that a lot with those kind of places i don't there's um where i eat out has been massively curtailed which has Mm. saved me from a lot of those places like i managed to duck the vast majority of the huge queues for like Bodeans because I couldn't eat a single thing in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, do I still have massive queues for Bodeans during the day, or is the uh, um, pork finally? Stopped? I haven't. I haven't been there for ages. Um, I've only been there a couple of times, but the last again, you look at it and the kind of thought of it is way better than the reality. Yeah, they sell the image of like that kind of. It's like American... ooh, barbecue pulled pork, yeah. and it's you've got images of like beautiful, th- beautiful meat being hot. And I'm sorry about this, but you've got images of like, like beautifully cooked ribs sizzling in front of you, and it's like, yeah. well, no, I got a plate of ribs, disappointing ribs with some barbecue sauce on it. Just you know? like you would have got in a pub in Maidstone in the nineties. Yeah. yeah, but significantly more expensive, and it's it's odd the way that like. Like everything else, as British food culture has... It hasn't really grown up. It's just grown into a kind of, like, late capitalist kind of... Like, hyper-real situation where you need to be sold on the food. It's not enough It's not enough to go to a place and see whether the food is good or not. If you're lower middle class like we are, like, generally, you you need to be sold on the ambience of the place and then be offered the same thing that you can get everywhere else. Yeah. It's a weird thing. Mm. I don't know. It's I don't I don't go out to restaurants that much anymore, to be honest. I I, I haven't been excited but I actually went to a ve- a vegetarian vegan restaurant um about a month ago and it was like the best food I've had in ages because it was it was really well cooked and not not showy. Um it yeah. there's something to be said for that. It it it's quite rare to find a place that isn't style over substance, mm. but that sounds like kind of snooty. But it seems like in pretty much everywhere you go, it's the same thing. You're just you're essentially paying to have been there. You're selling the you're either like something with my family is safety, mm-hmm. um, safety and food. You go to places that where you recognize the things on the menu, chicken and chips. Um, hey, I like yeah. chicken and chips, but you don't go to anywhere. That's a bit different because you can't. You're you're spending this money, so you need something where you're guaranteed to be having a good experience, and that's what that's what they're selling eating out on. And it it's not that English food English food has become more co- like English eating habits, I should say, have yeah. become more cosmopolitan. But they just ran on the tracks that were set down, and they became really weird and late capitalist. Yeah, yeah, and it's, like yeah, it's it's like the only- this is the kind of person I am because I eat this food, not. This is good food. You there's know? like, there's only a couple of places in this country where you still get, like, a proper example of like regional 
British food. I wanted and to talk like about the seaside. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. And the seaside's, again, very different depending mm. on which coast you're on and all that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the food in, like, the way chip shops are. Yes. Like, yeah. a chip shop in London is going to be very different to, like, that chip shop in Derby with the, um, Ooh, deep, fried with the deep fried hamburgers. Yeah, that was good. And then one of my favourite things when going, well, it used to be when going to Edinburgh, like, the chip shops in Edinburgh, again, would be completely different. And then the chip shops in Wales, which I'm very much looking for, going to Wales next week, I'm very much looking forward to. Yes. Welsh chip shops. Um, again, very different. Like, and just fiddle, it's like, Having brown sauce on your chips. <laughs> <laughs> Having salad cream on your chips. That's a top tier move, my friend. <laughs> but the weird thing is, um, chips... Like, chips have their own terroir. Ooh. You know how wine has terroir? Yeah. Where, depending on where it's grown, the vines are grown, depending on the... Uh, what? That's the most fancy you've I'm ever sounded. Yeah. <laughs> the chip terroir. Yeah, no. Yeah, Carry on. Yeah. That's that's me. That's my whole brand. <laughs> You're yeah? like a chip sommelier. <laughs> I'm a disgusting slob. I've read a couple of books. I try and pronounce French properly. Probably one time out of ten. <laughs> um, Go on. Yeah, uh, v- vines have terroir. Vines have terroir, and the um, the the wine that they produce based on like their the the air flows through the valleys that they're in, the amount of sunlight they get, the amount of rain they yeah. get, the type of soil, things like that. All of these very, very tiny geographical factors affect how a wine tastes. Yeah. So that wine in one vineyard may taste completely different to the one in the wine in next. Chips have their own terroir depending on um like obviously the potatoes that they're made from, but also the oil. Yeah. Like I can't get on with any like chip shop chips e- even in London because they're not the they're not the right flavour that I grew up with. They're not the right oil. Yeah, they, they're not fried in the right oil. They're I don't fried. know what oil. They probably are fried in no, the exact same oil. No, no, in different parts of the country, they are fried in different kinds of oil. Yeah, but we're not. Apparently. We didn't grow up that far away from London. I don't care. I haven't had chips that have been the same. I don't, I've had that it's horrible not the same experience thing. of um, the chips fried in beef fat mm-hmm. and that, the dripping. And that, that was like, that was a hard day. I had where there was all these places that sold chips and I couldn't eat a single fucking thing. I just drank Stella until I almost passed out in the sun. Um, but I like that. I like uh, the perhaps, perhaps I like like the combination of extremely, uh, ex- extremely detailed things about very common, like what would be considered everyday things. I like those little those little differences, and it's something that you don't. You don't get. You get the exact opposite. You get something that promises to be unique, screams unique with every fibre of its marketing. Yeah. And yet is exactly the same. It truly is. If you go to Gourmet Burger Kitchen or fucking uh, Bodine's or um, what's the other one? Byron Burger. Yeah. It's exactly the same thing. And they're, they're, they're even, yeah, meat liquor. Meat liquor was, I felt that was slightly better, although that might have been because my brain so was greasy. clogged with grease. Yeah. <laughs> But it's a it's a comfort food thing. It's a yeah. it's a reassuring thing. It's like this is naughty, that kind of thing. But those things are different, all in exactly the same way. Yeah. In that all they do is substitute exactly the same ingredient and tell you it's different. It's it's exactly the opposite of the terroir of chips. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a it's a, I, I much prefer that. I like that. Because well, before I was, I was thinking, I, I've been trying to think about what's something that is different depending on where you go in the country mm. and it is how chips are given to you yeah it's like 
curry I sauce, think... mushy peas, yeah, um, gravy. Fuck, I mi- I miss being able to get um, chips, beans, and cheese when I lived in Lincoln. Just a big a big cone for two pound, big cone of uh, chips, beans on top, mayonnaise. He used to stir it in. Fellow man used to stir it in for me and chuck chuck a load of cheese on top. And then you wait outside for everyone else to like get their kebabs and whatever. And then it would all have melted by that, and you were drinking it by the end. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> Obviously, lovely. these are not like these are not like. I don't know whether these are objective experiences. They're almost certainly not because like food is subjective. Of yeah, course, of course it has to be. But yeah, there's um yeah there is because the other thing that I was that. So you said the um, a fry up is different as well. Mm-hmm. Depend like mm-hmm. um a fry up in the southeast is different to one in the north. Yeah, and Ireland, well, white pudding. I love is, white pudding. Yeah, but white pudding yeah. is quite a rarity in yeah. this country. Um, and then in Scotland you get that weird that lawn sausage thing. Yeah. Yeah, like and like uh, Northern Ireland, you've got um scramble scrambles or is it Ulster fry? Oh, Ulster fry, which is yeah. Yeah, um, kind of thing. Which yeah, but there's like it's weird to see like the things that have survived as having like their regional things. It, I think it differs from France in that in France you get individual ingredients that are sourced from particular places, whereas in Britain because the individual ingredients have been so regimented and yeah. industrialized, you can't really. I mean, they talk about you know you've got kind of broad categories like Lincolnshire sausage and things like that, but. What's survived as regionally distinct has been the con- like the recipes, the mm. the the com- not even the recipes the really, combining. the combining of the different yeah. ingredients. There's usually like a flair at the end. Yeah. So like um, fried cockles. Yeah. Or a lawn sausage. And it is it is kind of a shame because like you know before the war there was like uh, Britain had more varieties of cheese than France. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, it doesn't surprise me. We got and like you went through kind of yeah fifty. A good 15 years? Yeah, rationing ended just before my dad was born. Hmm. So um, you had a good 15 years of food not being advanced in hmm. this country and people not trying those things. And well, yeah, imagine it, rationing <laughs> fucked cheese. Yeah. Forever. They just, you know, they, they, they died off. Yeah. You know, those, those things died off. That's a whole generation of... Even if you're talking about, like, whatever peasant cuisine tradition we had in this country yeah what hadn't been killed off by industrialization just 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 died off and all those regional variations of things mm. just could not could not survive it's weird to see that the thing that did survive as having regional varieties is things that exist on estates mm. the chip shop on the estate yeah and it being and it having yeah. its particular offering yeah and i love the combinations of chip shops as well like the chinese chip shop the indian chip shop you know, you just miss that the, kind of you just miss the Chinese chef shop in Walthamstow that shut down oh, as soon as you moved. Don't in. fucking start. I moved in, and it pretty much painted up its windows and closed. Yeah, it's because I wore furious at that. I love that place so much. <laughs> I think it's going back. But that's a, but those are the kind of things that you remember and that form the basis of a like a, a food culture. Like I don't think mm. I'm overselling that. Like no. those are those are those, like when you're talking about fusion cuisine, when you're talking about food in Marxist terms as what you can afford, yeah. what you have the time to eat, and what how how it how it how it interacts with your like life having to sell your labour. Mm. Like those are the kinds of things that stick and do form ad hoc cultures. And like it's a lot to ask in 
you know, like I say, cosmopolitan London with its particularly commercialised food environment. But yeah. I really, I really like that kind of thing. You know, mm. it's um, it's a shame that it kind of kind of goes away. You know, it's it's disappointing. On the other hand, I probably wouldn't want, like they have in France, uh, food that's so kind of, it's good, but also it, it's stymied so much in terms of their wine guild has a terrorist wing to stop. Yeah, like, foreign wines. Well, to stop foreign wines, stop things like metal caps. Yeah. Like stop um, screw tops Too becoming wrong. a thing. Too wrong. <laughs> There's, um, it doesn't make it. Oh, no, it doesn't make a I difference. was in wine for several years and it doesn't make a difference. In wine is a nice way of saying drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I was in in a wine bottle. I was being poetic. <laughs> um, yeah, there's um, yeah, French food is there's some there is some, like it. I can't really eat any French food because all of it is so very yeah. anti-vegan. Mm. But um, there's something really. It's all old-fashioned, but in a really kind of comforting way. You know, like. Yeah. I, like you know, the kind of the sauces that you have with your steak, the slabs of things like foie gras. Yeah, it's all yeah. like, old, very old fashioned. Yeah, very comforting. And you know, it's it's link. It is linked to a certain method of of food production. It's, I I get it. It's just I don't think it's necessarily. If you're talking about like why is British food so bad, you would maybe question the no- notion of it being uh, like. It being able to be described sim- as simply as British food, yeah. Anymore because it's not sourced from ingredients that necessarily grow. Um, yeah. It's not like it's not assembled in a way that like you would have gotten, say, in the eighteenth century. Yeah. I just, I don't think it can be reduced to as, as simple terms as that. You know. No. Yeah. So, like, we're talking about shame culture around food. Um, yeah. It's a very distinct thing. We all. We all experience it. I don't think we necessarily recognise it, but I know that you recognise it, particularly since you've gone vegan, in the amount of like weird shit that people making their own dietary choices get. Yeah. Um, and I saw a story the other day um, about your favourite YouTube personality. The man who ruined my YouTube. <laughs> I was sending you screenshots of the videos that are recommended to me now. I think it started as you wanted to do like research on the alt-right for our last episode. Yeah, and I just couldn't stop And you didn't, you didn't stop and ruined your YouTube algorithm. Yeah, it's so bad. <laughs> it's so bad. I watched a 45-minute video of um, Prison Paul talking to Sargon of Akkad outside of a pub. Oh, I saw some of that, yeah. I try. And I don't know why I watched it. I veer away from it. Um, not because I think I'm going to become infected, but I, it, well, no, it's I don't boring. learn anything. No, you don't. Le- They're oh. all a thousand hours long. I did I did learn from that one, though, that um, it's, we don't have to bother anymore. It seems that the far left already own everything and are in charge. Oh, sweet. So, so yeah, so we don't have to, so, you know, job done. Oh, I'm meeting Soros later on. Yeah. Actually, I've got to finish up here. Also, I found out that pres- the um, thingy Sargon of Akkad seems to be seems to smoke gold in Virginia, which marks him as a wrongen. <laughs> it's the hard man cigarette. It's the tough guy cigarette. It's too moist. It get wet. Like. Yeah. But you, aside from anything, you just have to relight it all the time. Yeah, it's fucking horrible, disgusting yeah. tobacco. It's fake tough guy tobacco yeah. because it's heavy, and you think heavy equals good. No, no one, no one should ever smoke gold in Virginia. Um, but you get a lot of shit anyway. Hmm. You get a lot of shit. Um, from kind of people who you know you don't know, who you've never met before. Oh yeah, who seem to think it's 
completely it, it baffles me it's gone down recently but, yeah in the last six months or so yeah um, I've been getting it a lot less because mm-hmm. I think yeah, veganism has become more popular yeah um, so I don't get yeah quite as much of the so you're gay then yeah or anything like that um, but yeah this week there was a very good thing with um, so it's a nice reveal that Jordan Peterson is sad all the time what was it he's like he's sad and he has a terrible libido Jordan... so his daughter worried about her dad not maintaining healthy and strong erections and crying himself to sleep every night decided to help him because she is which I, can't, I always get it mixed up there's dietitian nutritionist one of them is a qualification the other one is um, like a witch doctor that prescribes jerky <laughs> I don't know. She's a blogger. Okay. <laughs> um, Jordan Peterson revealed this week, uh, maybe even before, that he's been doing his daughter's diet plan, yeah. which uh, is basically eating beef three times a day. He says this has um, salt beef made him lose fifty pounds. Hmm. I've seen old pictures of Jordan Peterson. I don't know where he had fifty pounds to lose from, but no. there we are. Um, and has cured the depression he's had. He's been in since he was thirteen. Okay. Um, his daughter, uh, Mikhail, Michaela Peterson, she eats beef three times a day. She fries or roasts it, adds some salt and washes it down with sparkling water and that's it. No fruit, no vegetables, no carbs, just beef. She's, they're Canadian, aren't they? They are, yes. So one of the main things I remember like with Canadian food is, I think it was Canadian loggers who, it was like a whole group of them and they all starved to death. Yeah. Um, and they starved to death because they were eating nothing but rabbit. There was rabbit everywhere, and they were eating rabbit morning, noon, and night. But rabbit is a meat that is missing a cup. I think it's one or two fundamental amino acids, and they all starved to death. It, I think, wasn't it on an? Wasn't it? They were marooned on an Australian island, and all they'd done is bought rabbits. Considering, no, I rabbits, think it was in Canada. It was rabbits this, breed very quickly, Can- and I think it was provide in Canada. them with meat. I think it was in Canada. These people died. <laughs> so I was thinking, like, surely if you're in Canada. You've heard the story of the person who ate one thing and died. Her blog's called Don't Eat That. Oh, I only read it, I but I can even voice. hear the voice. No, don't eat that. Don't. Oh, don't eat that. And I hate, have grown to hate, shame-based food culture. I hate yeah. shame-based culture generally, unless it's, you know, for a particular purpose. But with food, something so, to me ephemeral and yet super important there's a thing i don't care about food but also i know it's quite important yeah you know yeah and adding adding psychosocial factors to that is it just it drives me insane there's like there's this weird thing that people seem to have with food like it's almost like driving a car and things like that where someone will be doing something that affects this other person yeah. in no way whatsoever. Hmm. For example, me not eating animals. Yeah. But this person will be so offended by the very notion of that that they'll run off and start their blog about eating nothing but beef <laughs> and be really pleased with themselves. And it like there's because I do the thing that I do remember. I'm pretty certain I, I might have maybe I've written it in my own head, but I'm pretty certain that there is something to do with the virility that Jordan Peterson talks about. He does talk about. Um, it, it would be totally on brand I haven't read it but it would be totally on brand with his like particular we talked about in the last episode the weird focus that a lot of alt-right people have on masculinity 
despite not being in traditionally like yeah. traditionally masculine, yeah, they're not like like they're not loggers. No, Jordan they're not Peterson working is, on an oil rig. Jordan Peterson is a well, he's a public speaker now. Yeah, he's but then to, he's a psychology to prove, professor to prove that how masculine he is, he eats you know staggering amounts of salted beef that are pretty much just eating handfuls well, of leather. No, I mean, I don't understand why he needs uh, he needs that like to prove that he can bang his wife, to prove that he's masculine. Like, the proof is right there. He has a daughter. He has a single daughter who charges $90 for a Skype call to advise people to on say, Don't her, be- uh, her beef-only diet. She's, like, he's clearly made her so strong and so yeah. capable that she has to grift strangers. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, I don't, yeah, there's nothing wrong with his, uh, his masculinity. Surely you'd get... You'd get so bored so quickly, nothing but... Like, I'd be bored on the first day. But it's not about... There's a a particular thing that the alt-right shares with its fascist forebears is not only a kind of resistance to sensation, and a very Protestant one. Mm. It's, you know, fascism, when it when it comes about in Protestant countries, tends to have that, that element to it. Yeah. Of, oh, I just drink water and eat bread. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. I I restrict myself amidst all this plenty. And he's from Toronto, isn't he? Yeah, uh, he's yeah. like not um, from French Canada. Yeah, and it's 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 completely on brand, but the for everything that the alt-right says about, um, oh, why are you making everything political? They are the kings of assigning political meaning to absolutely everything the yeah. wrong political meaning yeah but they are they they absolutely um like he ha- he has made a made a lecturing career on talking about disney films <laughs> and things like that and it's like he while he's busy complaining about um you know the frankfurt the frankfurt school like deconstructing everything and pretending there aren't any eternal truths He's literally doing that thing. Yeah. He's doing cultural what he says is cultural Marxism. Yeah. It's and and like po- he's doing postmodernism. It's it's a bizarre feature of them. But mm. I I really hate this this ascribing of um so, like social characteristics to things that you consume. Yeah, there's you a, know? it's definitely the all right are really like in love with it. There's like the complaining about soy boys. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and say like eating soy turns you into a woman it's definitely which a... is interesting like all of China is women yeah <laughs> it's a de- it's a desperate last ploy mm. it feels like toxic masculinity's last stand Steak. in that if you need yeah if you need to assert it that strongly mm. um, then something's wrong with it something's yeah. it's it's something about it is dying off there's something yeah, it's the. Of, and it's of, of course it's steak. Mm. Of course it's beef as well. Like of all the meats, that it's the one that you eat all the time to make you, like to have this magic diet. Yeah. Of course it would be beef, which is probably one of the worst ones to just eat that much. He's like his ass must be a nightmare. Have not taken a shit in six months. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Not taking a shit to own the libs. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> Look at this feces pile up. I bet Soros <laughs> is fucking pissed at this. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's he's like a new lease on life, but once a month he has to go and have it all removed. 
like away from the alt right as well, like the way that a lot of people kind of react to veganism. There's I used to have a friend who, um, when I mentioned, uh, like whenever anybody like I was uh, around like quite a few vegetarians and vegans in in Nottingham, and whenever anyone would mention veganism, um. They would go, oh, uh, how do you know someone's vegan? Don't worry, they'll tell you. Ascribing, a, and and they would say this every time. Yeah. So they became the one who would tell you, yeah, tell you about vegans being really annoying, every single time. Yeah. It came up. In general, it's that thing of like, I'll bring it up if I'm talking about food, or if I'm trying to decide where to eat people that I don't that don't know me. Yeah. Of just like, well, I can't eat that. Sorry. Hmm. But it's not like, oh. but yeah, it's that um, you can't have open. Like open-minded discussions about food with, with so many people. Maybe that's like more more like, of an indictment of British food culture than the actual food itself. It's people's attitudes towards food in yeah. that it is so restrictive. I think it, there is. It is kind of like cars, and it's not surprising that like beef and cars are like such a symbol yeah. of masculinity, um, that they'd be so so similar. But like, I had a little running with my father-in-law about mm. my attitude of no fuck the cars I don't care about them <laughs> yeah. don't want them anywhere near me they make it so I can't breathe mm. go away um, and it's this kind of defensive attitude to like but how dare you top living in a consumer society has poisoned so many people's brains mm-hmm. like when you face them with a decision of like well this thing you're choosing to do um it's actually killing some people uh, who don't have a choice to avoid it. Um, and so naturally, the thing that you would choose to do is like defend that choice to the death. Well, I remember. Because you're not defending, you're not even defending the particular thing, but they have this idea that if you take one choice away, you're taking the, the notion of consumer choice away from like, someone. I'm not completely immune to it. I remember when the smoking ban came in, we were both fucking livid. Yeah. Um, I worked in a nightclub at the time and I was popping outside most of the time to go yeah, smoke anyway we got used to it pretty quickly yeah um, but I, I distinctly remember being fucking furious for a while um, I think one of the main reasons was it ruined the smell of most of the pubs that I liked because <laughs> I tend to drink in shitholes and, so and it meant they, you could smell them again yeah exactly yeah. Um, but yeah so I'm like aware of that you know being told like it's people don't like being confronted with the thing that they the yeah. thing that they do isn't a wholly good thing. Yeah. And they get very defensive and they get very angry. And the people that are most likely to do that are like baby boomers. Yeah. And they go, right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they, it's been nicer recently that I have, it's very rare I have to deal with it, mm. which is nice. Um, like still saying, someone's saying still gay then. Um, yeah. You know, that kind of thing, like to question whether you're, that you're vegan. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'm I'm going to I'm going to see my Welsh family soon. I do th- they do still. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they just fight. They just general and it's made, they're old. They're old people. Yeah, and they're generally baffled by the very notion of me not wanting a sausage, which I get. Sausages are nice. There's a general move away from uh, understanding something like the epic bacon guys. Oh yeah, like you know, bacon, 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 all the time, bacon, everything made out of bacon. Mm. Um, they know that, like, you know, charred meat, charred red meat, especially bacon, is really carcinogenic. Yeah, especially um, smoky bacon. It's delicious, but that's not 
what they're what they're rebelling against. What they're rebelling against is that the thing that they have fixated on in their mind, the totem, the fetish, has been demystified. Mm. It has been reduced to exactly what it is. For all of that the alt-right go on about wanting first principles mm. and empirical facts and truth, yeah. what they actually want is that these things that are, like I say, being demystified, you're being told exactly what happens to you if you just eat beef. You will not shit again, ever. Mm. If you eat a shitload of bacon, you're going to get cancer. Mm. Um, what they want is to put that back and restore the kind of place, of the place that they have. It's like, it's childish. Mm. It's like, uh, it's, it's, and I kind of understand the way it works because like, that's what neoliberalism, like if you've got a shitty job, neoliberalism offers you a, a load of choices to take the edge off that mm. little treat for you. It comes back to the Protestant thing. I'll mm. have this little treat and then I'll work it off later. Mm. Um, but you're, you know, your job's shit. You know, you've moved to a city where you've got no friends. You've got to live in a shithole. You're never going to own a house. You're never going to have secure housing in any way. Mm. Your landlord's ripping you off. But don't worry, you can get that, that little bit of treat. And there are two ways of reacting to that. Either you actually react to the material circumstances <laughs> of your life and don't necessarily live it in a, in a, like a mystical way. You don't try and like, you don't try and elevate things into a kind of character for yourself that you haven't been able to build because you're at fucking work all the time. You haven't been able to build your, a sense of yourself as an individual. Yeah. So you attach your individuality to these easy to slip into clothes like, Oh, I'm, I really love barbecue. I'm the meat guy. Yeah. You know? And, no, the alt-right is kind of the sharp edge of, no, put all of that back in the box. I need to feel this way again. Yeah. I need to feel this way about things because you can't feel it about your 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 general circumstances or society in, in general. No, so let you me know? feel about that way of so bacon bowls. Let me feel about it. I want to make a ship out of bacon and <laughs> salami and fucking whatever. It was an old internet thing, wasn't it? People making... A sh like. Huge dioramas out of out, bacon, of, out of bacon and meat. There are amazing sins yeah. <laughs> that have been committed with bacon <laughs> as the building block. And I'll be frank, I I, I think bacon's okay. I, I think it's fine. I don't eat it that often. Um, not even because of health, just because it's a pain in the ass to kind of like. It's not even a pain. In, I don't even know why I don't eat it that much. I just don't have the, I don't have the taste for it when I've got something even trashier that's closer. Maybe, maybe that's what my my rice problem and ketchup. is. Yeah, basically, when I've got rice and ketchup that I could just stick in the microwave, why do I need to stick bacon in a microwave for five minutes when I can stick? Which I have done. Um, why do I need to stick? I could when I can stick rice and ketchup in the microwave for two minutes, you know, and get basically the same thing. <laughs> I think that's a good place to end. Yeah. The conclusion is British food is terrible. The British people are terrible. No, the food no, is good. The conclusion <laughs> is I'm terrible. Like I I really I'm not an exemplar of any kind of modern British food culture. No. <laughs> no, you're not. No. <laughs> yeah. Alright. Um yeah, that's us for this week. Uh you can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can follow us at WDTATW underscore podcast. You can follow me at BM Bergamo and you can follow Hugh at Tanner Smashing. And that's us for this week. Cool. See ya.